The following recording is from Life Church. If you'd like more information about Life Church in Woodstock, Ontario, visit lifeinyou.com. Today's a special day. We're going to be uh, baptizing, is it eight, nine, ten? A lot. Ten. Ten individuals. That's a good thing. I'm sure that's why there are faces out there I don't recognize. Either that or, uh, I don't know, you hit a certain age and sometimes you forget faces. Hopefully I haven't hit that age yet. I'm not even 40, so I shouldn't be hitting that. Uh, but if you're uh, uh, in need of a Bible today, we forgot to do this. If you're in need of a Bible, just raise your hand. It's always good. You might have come here with an open mind, which is wonderful, but the truth is it's better to come with an open Bible than an open mind. You haven't got a clue what I'll tell you. Uh, so if you come with an open Bible, then you can confirm what I'm saying is true and that I'm not blowing smoke. Uh, so just raise your hand, the ushers will give you a Bible, and you can borrow it for the entire service. If for some strange reason you do not own one, make that our gift to you. Uh, there are better Bibles that are down and lost and found, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, if for some reason this one doesn't fit the bill, uh, but I'm going to help you out. Uh, I'm going to take you to two scriptures today, and if you would be willing to, uh, go to Colossians 3 and Galatians 2. And for those of you who have these Bibles, that's page 472. And 478, just to help you out. It's right near the back of your Bible, 472 and 478. Uh, and we're going to begin. And uh, what I've kind of discovered, and anyone in this room, because all the kids are downstairs, will have experienced this. And that's this, about the age of, you know, from grade four to about grade eight, somewhere in there, what happens is, uh, you know, a child begins to try to identify themselves, find out who they are. They kind of look around to see the groups that they're around and see where do I fit? Who am I like? Who, who am I and what am I? They kind of try to find their identity, which group they fall in. Like, I mean, it, it, in relation to my age when I was growing up, you know, it would be, am I, am I a jock? You know, am I athletic? And no, I didn't make the basketball team. I was the water boy for the basketball team, true story. Kept, kept the statistics, which meant I was good in math. So you can figure out where I I fit in the range of things there. You know, am I, am I going to be the nerd? Am I going to be the geek? Am I going to be the, the cheerleader? Am I going to be the... You start naming all these different things, you know, am I going to be the anti-group? And if you're all, you, for those of you my age, the goths, you know, the anti-group group. You get into a bunch of together, you know, with a bunch of people who are opposed to everything together. You know, we want to be different <laughs> together. And for those of you who don't know what goth is, don't worry. All you need to know is I grew up in that that culture, I wasn't one, I just, that surrounded me, and so th- that's the age where you begin to find, to develop your identity, who you are, and, and, you know, common understanding would be that, you know, about the age when you're in university, you begin to slow down that, you've discovered who you are, and, and when you get out into the real world in the working force, then you stop trying to find your identity, and I actually disagree with that. That's common understanding, that's what people think happens, but really I believe that's contrary to it, and I'll prove it. I'll prove it. And I'm going to prove it with athletics because, uh, you know, we all find our identity differently. And uh, at no other time do I find it more strange when in November a man will come half-dressed, painted, body painted, sitting in an outdoor arena screaming for a bunch of men in spandex, you know, and and pads, you know, I got to make it manly, spandex and pads running a ball up and down the field. I like football. But I find it strange that men would so identify with that, that that is their life. This is my team. I will wear the uniform regardless of how it embarrasses my wife in public. You know, I will, you know, 
all those different things. I will do those things and we'll identify. We'll, we'll try to find those groups in which to identify to, to this is who I am. I am a Leafs fan or I am a, you know, for some of you, you know, what was it since 1960? What now since they haven't won the... Sorry. Yeah, and every year, I bet you, because they've been on a little bit of winning streak. Ooh, this is, yes, right, this year. Sorry. I don't want to trash your faith. Honestly, I don't. Because if they actually go to, the, if they go to the Stanley Cup, I will be cheering for them like everyone else. I just won't be going to the doctors for help, heart palpitations when they lose. And that's a little shot to a friend of mine who that actually happened to. Won't say any names, Ryan. Uh, <laughs> Happened to be the youngest individual. The doctors, the doctors said to him, don't worry, you're not the only one, you're just the youngest one. And that's all I'm going to say. So, but we, we try to find our identity in all these different things. And uh, your identity, or at least how you answer the question, who am I and what defines me? How you answer those two questions, which basically are your identity, pretty much informs every aspect of your life, personal public, emotional, spiritual, how you answer those questions, who am I, what defines me, my identity, it is going to have threads interwoven in literally every aspect of your life, every sphere of influence in your life. So you'd better get that answer right. If you're going to get an answer right, that should be it. You know, that is the answer that you need to get right. Who am I and what defines me? And as Christians, we too have to answer that question as well. And we need to be able to answer this, who am I? However, as believers, if you're a believer in this room today or watching online, as a believer, we are presented with an opportunity to define ourselves one of two ways. We can define, our, define ourselves in a limited and finite way, which I would argue is the way the world does, and probably the majority of ourselves in this room, myself included. We define ourselves in a very limited and finite way. Or we can find our identity in two very powerful words which transcend being finite and transcend being limited. Now, I don't want to leave you hanging because I, or panicking because I'm, I'm not going to tell you what those two words are. I just told you you could do it this way which is, uh, or you can do it this way, woo, which is better, and I'm not telling you the better way yet, yet. So just hold on. But I want to point out to you, because I've just said to you, you can define yourself in a finite way, sure, if you choose to, and many of us do, myself included, from time to time. And, and you might be like, I don't understand what he means. Well, let me, let me point out some of the ways how we, how we find our identity. You know, I already pointed out that there are individuals that find their identity, in, you know, maybe in their hobbies, their, you know, they were athletes at one point in time, and their golden years, the best years of their life were when they were high school champs, and they were the big man on campus, and now they're a little bit overweight and sitting in the armchair telling the TV how they would have done it if they had the ability to do it. Um, you know, they find their identity in their hobbies. Maybe some of you find your identity in your job. Some of you are CEOs. You're not Bob. You are CEO Bob, right? That's who you are. You live and die, and the many men... If you find out when they retire, what happens to a lot of men? They die quickly. Why? Because their whole identity, who they are, was defined by the success they had at the job that they were at, the importance that people placed upon their position. And, and then now that that position is gone, who are they? But it's, I, what do I have left to live for? Let me just put it this way. Guys, I, your job is a lousy place to find your identity because... Um, after you retire, 
they will give you a gold watch. And, and probably a, a few months down the road, they'll have forgotten about you because they'll have found someone to replace you. You should know this when your four walls are actually a cubicle, right? It should be pretty obvious if, 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 if your office itself is transient enough that they can go snap, snap, three things and move it, snap, snap, and put someone else in it, right? I'm just, just being honest, just being very honest. But we can do it in our hobbies. Maybe in some of us, it's even with our uh, exterior appearance. It's our parents, ladies. You've been told since a young age you're beautiful, 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 and you've found your identity in beauty, but beauty is fading, right? Beauty is fading. And, and every year, come, you know, about January, you begin to see the gym start to fill out. Why? Because all the guys in there know that the non-shirt season is quickly approaching. They want to make sure they look the right way when it comes to non-shirt season, that they don't scare children, offend the ladies, whatever the case may be. It's, and then they, they, they find their identity and their appearance, Maybe it's your political, you know, I am liberal, I am conservative. You find your identity in your political stance. Maybe it's in your family name. You know, for me, I am a Tucker. The name Tucker doesn't carry a whole lot of weight with it. But there are people, sorry, Dad. Uh, <laughs> it's not like the Rockefeller name. It's, oh, I know the Rockefellers. Yeah. And, but I'm just saying, some people, they find it in their family name. Maybe it's in your success or, po- or success or popularity. Success is fleeting. Popularity wanes. You can find your identity in all these things. And the funniest thing of all is I find so many people finding their identity in their sin. I am a fill-in-the-blank, whatever your choice of poison is. I am a alcoholic. It might be true you're tempted that way, that, that you have a weakness for that area, but that's not who you are. But I find that so often in our sin. And like I said, you, you, you put your choice of poison in there. I am A. And, and so many people define themselves according to their sin. To be true, the Bible says you're a sinner, yes. But the Bible says something else, and we'll get to that. The Bible says something else. But people define themselves at, according to their sin. And there's all these transient. Transient means fleeting and changing. That There's all these ways that we could define ourselves, find our identity that are all transient. And what a foolish way. Let's just be right right up honest. What a foolish way to find your identity. Is there anything in all those things that are worth giving your life to or giving your life for? Is there anything there worth giving your life to, dedicating your entire existence to, or giving your life for? And the answer, if you're honest, really brutally honest, is no. Those of you who are young and beautiful right now, you will get old and wrinkly. You will. It is around the corner. It is inevitable. Those of you who put your faith in politics and that is how you define yourself, the, your politicians will disappoint you. They will disappoint you. Your team will go 62 years without winning the Stanley Cup and, and, and tease you the whole way along. Well, we can do it this year. Oh, no, we don't. We choke. Scheme seven, and we're winning. Ten minutes left. Up by, was it three? Four. Up by four. <laughs> Thanks for making my point. Um, and they will do that. All of these things. All of these things will disappoint. Now, I want to contrast that with how early Christians identified themselves. And you might be like, why early Christians? Why not now? What I've found is this. 
Uh, the reason why I like to bring up early Christians is because back then there was a price to be paid. There was a cost to being a Christian. Now it's like, oh, just join the bandwagon because there's absolutely, in North America, there's absolutely no cost. You know, you can rock your I love Jesus bumper sticker and it's, you don't have to worry about losing your head over it. Right? You can wear your Christian t-shirt. You can even carry your Bible around if you want. Uh, and you can even share the gospel. And, it, and you know, the most that might happen was, is people will um, treat you differently, maybe laugh at you, but your life isn't in jeopardy. There is no peril in North America. So I like to bring it up because it costs them a bit more. And, and I just want to demonstrate the difference between identifying yourself in something transient, and then how the early Christians identified themselves and how this happened. And I'm going to pick a certain individual, and this certain individual, although his story is interesting and unique, how, what he said and how it panned out and played out isn't unique, but, but can, can be seen over and over again, and it is written and documented throughout history. And this guy, it was a young man about the age of 18, and at that age, of course, you're still finding yourself. You're, you've, you have an identity, but you, know, you can pick 101 ways. And he, was, he was raised in a home, apophanesis, if I'm pronouncing it correctly. He was 18 years old. He was uh, born in a family. His, his parents were pagans, but they were well-to-do. And they're also, they're also distinguished in the community. And they sent him to the best schools available. He could have found his identity in his parents' money. He could have found his identity in his parents' name. He could have found his identity in his education. But he didn't. He became a Christian. And after trying to convert his parents, which didn't go over very well, he went to find uh, someone to train him in the word. And so he went and found that. And what was happening at the time, Emperor Maximin, he basically... He was a pagan as well and very zealous about it, persecuted Christians all the time. And so what he did is he had all the inhabitants of Caesarea, what they did is he required them to make public sacrifice. So what that did is it pushed all the Christians underground because if they didn't want to sacrifice and be killed, they had to hide. So what happened was he chose not to hide. I'm not not saying that was the smart thing or the wise thing or what I would have done. I'm saying he chose not to hide. And the prefect at the time, or the, if you want to call him the mayor of where he was at, the person in charge, was going in to make public sacrifices to the deity. And, and then he walks this 18-year-old boy, and as he's about to light the incense, he takes his hand and tries his best to convince him that what he's about to do is a horrendous sin and that it's wrong and to please change and repent and, and come to Christ. And of course, how'd that go over? Like a lead balloon. He was arrested and for three days, tortured and questioned and tortured and questioned until they finally killed him. And this 18-year-old boy, after every question, they would ask him where you're from, who you are, and where's the rest of the Christians. All he would answer is, I am a Christian. I am a slave to Christ. And they didn't like that answer. They'd ask him again, I am a Christian. I am a slave to Christ. They would beat him again, I am a Christian. I'm a slave to Christ. And what's not unique is that's what a lot of Christians did. They so identified themselves as Christians that they summed up everything, who they were, where they were from, their citizenship, 
their social status was summed up in that I am a Christian. I'm a slave to Christ. They were pretty crystal clear back then what it meant as compared to us today, what it meant to be a Christian. And at the heart of the New Testament is the message that believers possess an entirely new identity by virtue of their relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the heart. Can I have a Kleenex? That is the heart of the message. Thank you very much. This new identity profoundly transforms every aspect of the believer and comes with a completely new set of privileges. So where in the world, the question you should be asking is, where in the world do they get that idea from? If you're going to find your identity in something that's going to get you killed, which did in this particular case, something that he felt worthy to give his life to and give his life for, you better have a pretty solid understanding and it wasn't just some weird dream you had. You had pizza that night, had a weird dream, and oh, well, now this is what I'm going to do with my life. Some people do. If that's you, please think again. I think the best thing to give your life to is something solid and foundational, and for me, that's the Bible. And pretty much, if you all have a Bible in your hand today, in there is where they got this idea from because all throughout the Bible, here's what you're going to find, the New Testament, at least in Pauline, the Pauline writings, that's the stuff that Paul wrote. You're going to see these two words over and over again. You know, and they kind of say them differently. It's in Christ or in him over and over and over again, in Christ and in him and in Christ and in him, two very simple words. And Paul wasn't talking about, just so you understand that concept of that idea where Paul kept talking about in him or in Christ, theologians have spent time. Like, so if you're confused about what in Christ or in him means, you're in totally good company. Because theologians have talked about it for years, delved to the depths of that. And he's not talking about the same way you get in a car. I'm in a car, so how can I be in Christ? That doesn't quite make sense. And what are the implications of it? And so these are... What Paul was talking about, a concept that was greater and grander than the two words he used to describe the concept he was trying to get to. But in essence, Paul so saw himself in Christ that it defined everything about him. It defined who he was, what he was there to do. It informed him how his life should be and even how he should die. It informed all these things. I told you earlier through the Colossians 3, I want to read to you something that Paul said. Where he's using these, when he's talking about being in Christ, just his understanding of it. Colossians 3 says, If then, this is Colossians 3, verses 1, and I'm going to go 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. So he's, he's, he's kind of, I've jumped into a, a thought. Usually it's good, but because of time, I don't want to do this. Usually it's time to put a verse in its context, to read the verse this is before so you understand what he's talking about. He's just been talking about being in Christ, and he's saying, if then you have been raised with Christ, Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things which are above, not on the things which are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. 
Okay, what does he mean? What in the world is he talking about? If you've been raised with Christ. How many people died on the cross along with Jesus? There were two other people. The Bible describes this. There was Jesus and he was surrounded by two thieves. So he was numbered amongst the guilty. So is he writing to one of the two thieves that died? Because he didn't. He's not. He's writing to a whole bunch of people who didn't die. But he's saying just as if he did. If you raised with Christ, Christ died and the Bible says he, three days later he rose again. How many people came out of that tomb? One. But he's saying this. He said, you rose with him. Why? And he goes on. He says, because of that. He didn't tell, doesn't tell you why yet. He says, because of that. Because you rose with him. Okay, I guess I rose with him. Because of that. Set your thing. Here's how you live. Set your mind on the things which are above. Where Christ is. And seated at the right hand of the Father. Seek the things which are above. Set your mind on the things above, not the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is what? Hidden in Christ. Being a Christian, according to Paul, was so defining your identity that you are hidden in Christ that you have to understand this. You'll have a hard time understanding Christianity if you do not realize that everything Christ did, he did in your place. And that the same way we look to identifying ourselves in Christ, God the Father identifies us in Christ. So he no longer looks at your shortcomings and your sin. He looks at Christ's perfection and says, that's you. That's, that's you. So when Christ died paying the price for our sins... The Bible says God identified you with him and when he died. So when I asked you that question, it was actually a trick question. How many people died upon that cross that they, technically millions, all those who would turn and repent, all those who would be saved on that cross and died. How many walked out of that tomb that day? Billions. All those who turned and repent and put their trust in God, those who, all those who would be saved, walked out of that grave too. Paul saw that, identified with that, and said, because of that, this is how I'm going to live. Paul didn't physically die, but he was hidden in Christ such that his death, Christ's death, was his own, and his resurrection was also his own. Those two words in which we can find our identity are in Christ. So you can identify yourself with things that are transient. Hey, you can, you, you can, you can invest all the money you want in staying young and pretty looking until you know, the doctor has pulled your face so far back your smile looks weird. I, I look at some of the Hollywood stars that I grew up with and I'm like, boy, her smile's getting bigger and her lips are getting smaller. And then the next week, oh, her lips got bigger in weird places. You know, wherever they happen to inject all the stuff. You know, and some of them always look surprised. You know, it's just, it's like, wow. It's like, this is the saddest I've ever been, you know. So you can do all that. But the truth of the matter is, is if you're wanting to put your identity in something lasting and eternal, something unchanging and unflagging and that in the midst of all the troubles that the world might throw at you and hit you right between the eyes because it will come. If you live long enough on this earth, the phone will ring and you will be devastated. 
if you live long enough. If you don't, then someone else's phone will ring and they will be devastated. If you live long enough, that will happen. But even in the face of that, when you're grounded upon the understanding that in Christ you are all these things, and I'm gonna read to you some of these things that you are. Your life is very different. The Christians of old understood that in Christ, and I have scriptures here, I'm not gonna read you the scriptures. If you're like, gosh, you said this, and you wanna see the scripture verse I'm using to back it up, I have them right here, you can grab me after service. And this list is not exhaustive by any means, but in Christ I am a child of the light, a saint, the seed of Abraham, a new creation, God's workmanship, the salt of the earth, the light of the world, a child of God, a slave of righteousness, a new creation, a living stone, a friend of God. And that's not exhaustive. And in Christ I have become more than a conqueror, part of the true vine, reconciled to God, righteous and holy, blessed with every spiritual blessing, made to do good works, and a joint heir with Christ. Again, list not exhaustive. Reconciled to God, that's probably the biggest one on that list. Do you understand this? That by nature, every single one of us, when we came out of the chute, we had a predisposition one way. What do we know about children? They are all about me. I want it now. It's all about me. We have a predisposition that we want to satisfy you know, our needs, our wants, and we have a predisposition for sin. I didn't have to teach my kids to lie. They figured it out quite handily on their own. My, son, my sons know how to be mean to their sister or mean to each other Quite easily, they figured that out. Dad didn't have to teach him. Okay, here's how you hit your sister properly. You know, if you want, here's how you steal your, your brother's toy. You know, here, here's, here's how to be cruel, how to be, they figured it all out on their own. But instead, I've had to come along and teach them how to be kind, loving, generous, caring. We have that predisposition which puts us at enmity, separates us from God. And, and so that one, my favorite one, has to be reconciled to God where we've been brought into his family, loved, not because there's anything lovable in us, not because God knows what we will become, but he loves us as we are. And because he loves us as we are, he changes us to become what we've always been designed to be, children of God. But early Christians their union with Jesus Christ so comprehensively defined their identity. And due to this identity, they, they felt called to submit all of their lives, cultural habits, religious practices, how they lived their lives, and even how they died. They submitted it to the authority of Jesus Christ. And Paul's identity with Christ so consumed him. It's kind of interesting. It so consumed him he answered, a, I'm going to ask you this question and I'm going to tell you how Paul answered it or show you how Paul answered it. If I was to ask you, who lives your Christian life, your answer would be, it's not a trick question though, like you're all, I don't want you all panicking when I ask this. Okay, who lives your Christian life? I do. I do. Okay, that's good because you are living your own life, that's true. But is that a complete answer? You know, I've heard some people say Christ lives in us. Christ does. God does. That's right. You know, it, it's me living my whole entire life. It, it's, it's not just me. 
it's also Christ. If, I, if you were to say Christ, you'd be right. But if you were to say Christ alone, it's not a complete answer. It's this weird thing. You'll find in the Bible, there's, when all the big doctrines of the Bible, there's this divine tension. The Bible says this, you are saved by nothing that you've done. It's totally out of your hands. You didn't do anything to deserve it. But then the Bible also says, you need to choose God. So how does that work? It's all in his camp, but then I have to do something and there's that divine tension and we have to believe both. God saved me completely outside of anything that I'm going to do or have done and yet I'm to choose him. In the same respect, who lives my Christian life? I do. I put to death those sins in my life. I, I want to put those things, but I can't. God does. So it's this divine tension. And let me read to you how Paul answered this question. Because he didn't quite know how to answer it either. Galatians 2, that was, that's Galatians 2, verse 20. This is Paul answering, who lives his Christian life? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. So I died with him, but I'm alive. So I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Not yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he's saying, hey, I died on the cross, yet I live. Yet I don't live. It's Christ who lives in me. And so he's like, yeah, I died, and, but I live, but I don't. But I do, but not quite but it's him, not me, but it's me, not all me. You know, it's, it's just kind of, that's the way Paul, Paul's identity so fit into in Christ. It's like, yes, I'm alive. I'm standing in front of you today. I am talking to you. Yet, not I, but it's Christ in me. The life that I live really isn't my own. I've been bought with a price. If you're a Christian, you've been bought twelve, doubly so. But how is that? He made you, and then he bought you. Kind of amazing that you're, you know, if you want to know, hey, well, God owns me. Yeah, he owns you twice over. He made you, has every claim in the world to do whatever he wants with you. And then he bought you. It's kind of like the parent who, I always, I use this as an analogy all the time, is my kids when they're younger, and even now, when it's my birthday, they get in my car, I drive them to Walmart, take them in by the hand, because you don't want them to get hit by a car, lead them down the aisle that I would like to buy something in, show them the things that I'd really like them to buy for me, let them pick the one they want, let them carry the box back, take it back to the cash register, pull out my credit card, pay for it. Let them carry the bag back home. Get home, likely I'm wrapping it or mom, and then let them give it to me and let them celebrate all that they did to celebrate my birthday. Yay, look at the present I got, Dad, with Dad's money. Ooh, driving in dad's car with the gas he paid for. And that's kind of what this is like, is Paul's saying this, hey, my life is so in him, really, I take credit not for the good, but it's him. And the sin which you might see, of course, that falls all upon me. And that's the way Paul played it out all the time. An identity based on success, popularity, and power is a false identity, it's an illusion. I want you to remember this, those of you who are young in this room, those of you who are old in this room, those of you who are old in this room might be feeling a sense of loss after this statement, but let me say this, uh, it 
does not matter what you've done. It just matters where you're going. And that is, you are not what the world makes you. You are not what the world makes you. Maybe you've thought for years that I'm what the world has made me. But you're a child of God. That is a statement. You are not what the world makes you. You are a child of God. If you define yourself by the transient things of this world, your heart will never be settled. It will never be settled. Your heart will always have to work to convince you and to convince everyone else around you that you're valuable, that you're loved, and you have a purpose. If you are fighting to do that, that tells me you're putting your identity in the wrong thing. If you are doing things so that other people will see it to put value on you or so that you can somehow deceive yourself, fool yourself, that you are valuable. No, no, don't take that wrong. You are valuable, but not because of the things you do, because of the price that was paid for you. Your heart will always be unsettled because it'll be trying to convince you and everyone else of your value. However, when you find your identity in Christ, your heart will be settled because your heart will recognize that it is loved because it recognizes who you are in Christ and who God is and ultimately what God has done for you. Your heart will be settled. So those martyrs of old whose blood paved the way for us to be standing here today although that sounds morbid, it's very true. They were settled in their heart who they were, who God was. And their heart wasn't searching to find that value, to prove it to the world or to prove it to themselves. They were settled that they were in Christ and that everything that they need was found there. The reason why I'm sharing that with you today is this. Today we're having... Baptisms, And so I'm going to be scooting in about three minutes. That means I'm running in three minutes. So I can get changed because I don't want to jump in the water in a suit. Is that the individuals who are coming up here are having a public display for all you to see of how they feel they're identified. They find their identity in Christ. Just like Paul says, if you died with Christ... If you are raised with Christ, this is how we put your mind on these things. Not these things, these things. Track after this, don't track after that. That there's going to be a, a, very shortly a public display of, their, of them identifying themselves with Christ. Where they are saying, this is who I am now. I am in Christ. In the likeness of his death, I died. In the likeness of his resurrection, I am alive today. So it's no longer I, you know, I'm not dead. It's not I, but it's Christ who lives in me. They're in a very real way making a public display of what Paul, the revelation Paul was given. And so before I scoot, I just think it's highly appropriate to give everyone an opportunity to make a, a public profession. Maybe you're like, hey, you know, sometimes people think Christianity is cultural. Hey, I was born in a Christian nation. Maybe it's hereditary. Hey, I came from Christian parents. Maybe it's habitual. I go to church. Christianity is neither of those things, none of any of those three things. Christianity is this. It's a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ defined 
such that he gave his life for you. Because even the world has a relationship with Christ. It's not a very good one, but they have a relationship with Christ. It exists. And, it's, and, and, and it doesn't end well. But the relationship a child of God has is completely different based on everything he did. And we access it. We interface with him through grace, by grace through faith. And so the Bible says this. The Bible says that if we believe that what Christ did upon the cross, just like Paul did, he did for us as our substitution, and we see ourselves in him, we believe that, that, that when he died on the cross, so did I. And when he rose from the grave, so did I. That if we believe that and we confess it with our mouth, if we repent of our sins and place our trust in that reality, we are forever changed. Our identity is tied to, whether you live out that way, because sometimes we don't live the way reality is. The reality is you are identified and tied to Christ. However, when you sin, you functionally live as an atheist and there is no God. I'm choosing not to believe at this moment in time that there's a penalty for sin and I'm making a big boy decision with big boy consequences I'm going to ignore. That when I sin, that's, that's in a very real way, that's what I'm doing. But I'm wanting to put this invitation out there that there's individuals who are being baptized today because they've identified themselves with Christ. And so if you are wanting to identify yourself with Christ as well, uh, if you'd bow your heads, close your eyes,